0: an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. The Lord God, the one who we worship, almighty God, creator of all things, is the one who calls his children. He calls us from the far reaches of the earth. He calls us from lives of rebellion, from lives of wickedness, from lives of apathy. And he calls us out. And he calls us to something so much greater. He calls us to something that we couldn't even fathom in our culture, in our way of life, because it's truly and utterly so different. We get so complacent with the routine of life, with our daily lives, with our daily weeks, with our daily months, and if you're like me, then sometimes life feels too much The same. There's too much routine. You get comfortable, or you get disenchanted, or you get disappointed, or perhaps you get depressed because life feels too much the same. And there's not enough purpose, there's not enough driving force and passion to one get you excited, two, to get you hopeful. And three, to ignite passion in yourself about your life, about your mission, about your calling on this earth. And in all of this, we see in our Lord God, a God who calls us out of that. He called Abram out and he calls us out and he says, I choose you. I didn't have to have you, I didn't need to have you, I wanted to have you. Our God is a God who desires a relationship with us and our God is a God who is living and active, he is proactive, he is intentional, he is purposeful, he is driven. This is the energetic, enigmatic God who we worship, the God of all things. And this is a God who desires to have an active relationship with you and set your life on fire like he is on fire in a very good way. Let's open in prayer and then we'll dig in to today's text in Genesis 12. Lord God, may we humble ourselves before you. May we humble our routines before you. May we humble our pursuits before you. May we seek you with a lifestyle and a posture and a pursuit of humility. For one, O oh Lord, that is what you require of us. And two, O oh Lord, that is the only way that we can come to you. Let us not come in our own strength or our own fortitude or our own driven manner that we're doing it all on our own, or by our own power, no, no. We
1: cannot come to you in that manner. We must come in humility, in respect, in adoration, seeking
0: the answers from you, seeking the meaning from you, seeking the purpose from you, seeking Truly you. Pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. And may we do this, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Amen.
1: Last week, we
0: started with the life of Abram. And got into the first part of Genesis 12. But let's back up to Genesis 12, verse 1. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, who was his nephew. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, which were either servants, possibly slaves, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Touched on this briefly last week. What do we see from God's dynamic, powerful call to Abram in verses 1-3? How does Abram respond in this commanding call from God, this calling him out from the lifestyle of his city, from the lifestyle of Haran, from the lifestyle of Ur, from these pagan cities? Perhaps the beliefs of his father, the beliefs of his family, the beliefs of his grandfather, the beliefs of the heritage of faith, or lack thereof, that he had been given up to this point, how does Abram respond when God comes to him and says all of these words in
1: verses one through three? Verse four, so Abram went. As the Lord had told him, it's really that simple. Three
0: words followed by, because this was from the Lord. He went to the letter of what, he responded to the letter of what the Lord had said. The Lord said this, and he said, yes, this. God commanded him to do something, and he said, yes, I'm going to do that thing, that something, that particular calling. The Lord says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Abram, first sign of faith in the Lord after the Lord speaks to him, responds in faith. He did what the Lord had commanded.
1: It's almost as simple as that. Is it simple? But it is simple. may not be easy, but it's simple. It's straightforward.
0: God says, I want you to do this in your life. Does God, has God told you something specifically in your life? Think about your own life. Has God told you something? Has God commanded you something? How have you responded? Have you responded in faith? Have you responded
1: immediately in faith?
0: God wants you to. This is the call from God. This is the expectation from God that his children would obey him in faith and obey him, don't put it off immediately.
1: We see that from Abram in verse four. So
0: Abram went as the Lord had told him. He didn't go on his own accord. He didn't go to another city Like Jonah, who ran away after he was given the call by God to preach repentance to the Ninevites, Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him, his nephew, because Abram's brother had died. So Abram, in providing for the family, was caring for his nephew. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his wife, Sarai, And Lot and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Those who know their Bible, and we've already talked a little bit about the Canaanites here in just the first number of chapters in Genesis, are very familiar with the land of Canaan. This is largely the land of the people of God, but not yet. The Canaanites were pagans. The Canaanites were the people before the people of God arrived who inhabited this land, this area in the Middle East for what would become modern-day Israel. They set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. This tells me that, and as you will read, an oak tree. This was very likely not in the city. Excuse me, not in the city. This was outside of town. He was traveling. He was journeying. He was sojourning. And therefore, he wasn't necessarily staying in the city, as sojourners often did. They were out in the fields. They were out in the plains. They were in the outskirts. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land.
1: But folks, God had a plan. God always
0: has a plan. God chooses us. When he chooses, God chooses because God is the one who's fully in control of life and death, of heaven and hell, of earth and space and time and light and darkness. But God is the one who chooses. God is the one who calls. And God calls us for a reason. We can take comfort in the fact that our God is extremely intentional. He's not aimless. He's not weary.
1: He doesn't do things for no reason. It's
0: all very intentional for sometimes what he shares with us and we know in part, and sometimes we do not know. And God calls us to trust him in faith. And the human mind has many questions. And in the Christian life, even from a young age to adulthood, to elderly life, we may wonder and we may be curious about different aspects of God or why things on earth were this, Or why not? And that's not necessarily things for us to know here on earth. And when we get to heaven and are with the Lord forever, face to face, for eternity, it's probably not anything that we're going to specifically remember or necessarily care about at that moment. Because the greatest desire of the human heart will be met in our Lord. And he will make us perfect so that we are not
1: burdened with the things of this world, which we now struggle. But God has a plan.
0: God had a plan for the people of Israel, for the Hebrews who would become the people of Israel, the people who would seek after him and follow after him. And there was, there there was and there is the promised land. And this land of Canaan is the land of the promise. And God says, follow me, I'm calling you out, Abram, to go to the land that I will show you. Verse 7, we read that right there. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So how does Abram again respond? Let's go back and read this one more time in verses one through three. The original call from God to Abram, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, everything he had known. Everything he had known.
1: In other words, I'm asking you to
0: surrender your whole life to me follow me. Like Jesus called the disciples, the fishermen on the seashore. He said, leave your boats, leave your nets and follow me. And they left everything to follow Jesus. God says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram didn't even know where that was yet. God said, just go and trust me in faith. I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know what's remarkable here in verses one through three?
1: God is saying, go, and I will be with you. Go, and I will never leave you or forsake you because folks when God
0: chooses that's a permanent choice the relationship of God with his people throughout the Old Testament and quite often I'm sure in the New Testament church has been God calling the people of God in community to himself and saying, I will be your God and you will be my people and we will be in covenant together. And this covenant is greater than any human contract or human agreement or human to human relationship. I will be your God. The God of all things, I will be
1: your God and you will be my people.
0: And I will lead you, and I will guide you, and I will counsel you, and I will show you the ways that receive blessing, how to live to receive blessing, how to speak to receive blessing, how to live to receive good in your life instead of evil. The world exemplifies evil and paganism, and God says, I'm going to call you out from all that. Like, I am holy. I'm calling you to be holy. In other words, God is set apart, and he's going to show his people how to be set apart. And though the people fail, though the people turn their backs on God throughout the Old Testament over and over and over and over again, God says, I'm going to be faithful. I will never leave you or forsake you.
1: I will be with you.
0: And this is what he says to Abram in verses 1 through 3. And then Abram responds, as we've said in verse 4, Abram respond immediately in faith. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And then we skip down to God speaking again in verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, Looking, essentially, at the land of Canaan, to your offspring, I will give this land. And how does Abram respond again? In faith. So he, Abram, built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to
1: him. What is an altar? An altar is an ancient place of worship. Abram responded in
0: worship to God, to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there, what did he do? He built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. That's worship. That's a place of worship and then worshiping God. And Abram journeyed on, still going
1: toward the Negev. The
0: city of Bethel, you'll recognize, as it's mentioned numerous times throughout the Old Testament. This is the same area where Jacob had the dream of the ladder, the angels ascending and descending, and at the top of the ladder was heaven. And we pick up this story Genesis 28, verse 10. Just to read a section of it here, starting in verse 12. And Jacob dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this
1: is the gate of heaven. This is Abram's grandson, Jacob. How similar here
0: is the words of God. Yes, this is in a dream, but God speaks in dreams sometimes, and God speaks in visions sometimes, and God speaks to us in a number of ways. But we see here in the Old Testament something that that is consistent for God speaking, sometimes in dreams, sometimes in visions. The language very similar to what he says to Abram. God is saying, I will be your God. I will give this land to you for the people, for the people to worship, for the people to live. He told Abram, I will give this land to you for the people to worship, for the people to live.
1: And I will be your God. And
0: I will be your God. God continues to the patriarchs of the faith make this very clear distinction. I am setting you apart. I will be your God. You will be my people. I will be
1: your God. You will be my people.
0: And to Jacob, he says this. He says, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. So God even makes this promise to him. Future, for something that's going to happen in the future, specifically, he's going to bring him back.
1: Bethel, the word, means house of God. Let's also look at the city of Shechem.
0: And we can pick this up in Genesis 33, verse 18. Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram. And he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohe Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. Again, Jacob is erecting an altar, a place of worship, an ancient place of worship to worship the Lord. And We also see this. Uh, One chapter later, two, in Genesis 35. God's encounter with Jacob and these two cities. God said to Jacob, 35, one, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the Lord who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. See, folks, this is the affirmation of the earlier promise that God had made to Jacob. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had, and the rings that were in their ears, or earrings, Jacob hid them under the cherubim tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them, so that those cities did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Luz, which was renamed Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and there he built an altar and called the place El-Bethel. Because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried under an oak near Bethel, or below Bethel. So we called it its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had
1: spoken with him, Basel. God is faithful to
0: his covenants, God is faithful to his promises, God is faithful to his people. Though his people are unfaithful, God is still faithful. And in these covenants that God makes with his people, not specifically so much what we have read today, but otherwise throughout the Old Testament, we see quite often God says, if you will obey me, then this blessing will happen, and this blessing will happen, and this good will happen for you. And, as part of the covenant, God says, but if you do not obey me, then this judgment will happen against you. Then this ruling will happen against you. Then this consequence will happen against you. And these are both sides of God's faithfulness in the covenant. But any way around, God is going to be faithful because God is faithful to his covenants. God is faithful to his people and God does not give up on his people. You don't have to be worried if you come from a broken family or a harsh upbringing or even an abusive situation in your past or in your present to think or presuppose That somehow the God of the universe would act in a similar manner. He will not. He does not. He never has, and he never will. Because God chooses, and when you're a member of the family of God, you are a
1: member of the family of God. It's not like a broken home. It's not like a broken family. God doesn't get mad and then that's it.
0: When God chooses you, you are his. And this is unlike anything else on earth. This is an eternal love relationship. This is an always relationship. And this is a never-ending relationship. There is no brokenness in this when there is tension in the personal relationship between humanity and god it is because humanity has sinned it is because humanity has gone outside the will of god has gone outside the covenant of god has chosen to walk another path and this falls still in line with the parameters of the covenant. God says, if you will obey me, then these good things will follow and there will be blessing on blessing on blessing. And if you, in pride and stubbornness, seek your own way outside of my way, there will be consequences for that. But that is still part of the covenant.
1: And we have to ask ourselves in those moments,
0: why did we fall short? Why did we go outside the will of God? What is it inside of us? What is stirring underneath that we would pursue a path outside of God's will, outside of God's commandments, outside of what we all know to be God's goodness?
1: And we need to examine that. And we
0: need to humble ourselves. And we need to repent of our sin. And we need to, again, trust in Jesus. And trust in our God and read his commandments so that we know his commandments. How can you know if you're obeying the commandments of God unless you know the commandments of God? And that's why we have God's word. We have God's word. We have the tangible word of God in the Holy Bible so that we can read God's word so that we can know the heart of our God better so that we can know the ways of our God better so that we can know his commandments. So that we can pattern our lives after the mind of God, after the heart of God, after the work of God so that we can be about the mission of God which is to glorify God and to preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded us. This is our mission. And this is a good mission. And you will not find anything in life that will be more exciting and more enthralling and more gripping than this mission because this is the most exciting and proactive and living and active work
1: happening on the earth today. And we get blinded in the work of Satan
0: on the earth today. Because Satan is doing a lot of work on the earth today. And Satan has done and Satan will continue to do until Satan is at the final judgment of God. But until then, his work is distraction. His work is stealing. His work is killing. His work is destroying. His work is deceiving. And he's trying to reach every single person possible on this
1: earth. And in all that, God calls us out.
0: God says, I pick you first like being picked on a team god says i pick you first i choose you i choose you i think that's the deepest longing of the human heart is to want to be wanted to desire someone who desires
1: us to be loved and to love to know and to be fully known, but we want to be fully known.
0: And God is the only one who can fully know us. God is the one who can only fully love us because he created us, because he knows us utterly and completely already. Even before we approach him, God knows us. And he also wants to talk
1: with us. And this is what prayer is. And this is what the Holy Scripture is.
0: And this is what his work through the Holy Spirit, through the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word and the fellowship of the believers is. This is God
1: with his people. And when God calls you, God will never leave you, and God will never forsake you. This is our
0: God, and this is a good God, a loving God, a gracious God, a generous God, a forgiving God, a compassionate God, a merciful God,
1: and a saving God. Let's pray. To our wonderful
0: God who is over all things. To our God who knows all things. You know the governments of the world. You know the rulers of these governments of the world. You know the ways of the hearts of men. You know the ways and the hearts of your children. You know when we humble ourselves before you. You know when we're hard-hearted against your commandments. You know when we're lazy and when we're tired. You know when we're weak and when we're afraid. You know when we're struggling with sickness, disease, suffering of all types. You know when we're weak and when we're strong. You know when we're faithful and when we're not. And Lord, you call us again to be faithful, to be holy, to be set apart, to be of the lineage of faith and to love you and to trust you, and to be perseverant in our pursuit of you, to never give up, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what life throws at us, or who in life throws it at us, to not be distracted, to not lose hope, to not lose faith, but to hold the line and walk the path straight and narrow until we see Jesus' face. Holy Spirit, please guide your people faithfully through this life until we're home with you. Give us a desire that wells up and wells up and wells up for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 12.